Anyway, that's a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm head of a nonprofit called the Institute for Credible Christianity. I have a PhD in philosophy. And I love interacting with skeptics and going to Europe is something I love to do because most of Europe is quite secular. Uh, you're in, the US is increasingly secular, but Europe tends to be ahead of where we are in terms of how uh, secular it is. And I find that I interact quite well with skeptics. So speaking of Jesus comes from my part, in part talking to lots of skeptics about what they believe and why they believe it and how to be able to address the topic, raise the topic in ways which are comfortable and natural even with people who would normally be rather hostile towards the Christian faith. In fact, one thing which, uh, when I was a student, there was a lot more openness to be able to go door to door, knocking on doors. So I was on a staff here in the Bay Area, and at Stanford, I'd go out with, occasionally go out with, stu with a student and knock on doors, dorm doors, and say, we're members of the Christian community here at, at Stanford, and I'd like to know what your thoughts, impressions have been of either Christianity in general or the Christian community here. Just like to hear your comments. And sometimes the person will say, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you expect the door to close. And sometimes it closes quickly enough that I don't even get a chance to say this. But I'll respond by saying, it sounds to me as though you've had some negative experiences. Now, the person might say, yep, and close the door. <laughs> that could happen. But likely, they'll say, yeah. And they start telling me about their negative experiences and go on for 10 minutes telling me about their negative experience. And lo and behold, they are talking about it, <laughs> even though they didn't want to talk about it. But they're talking about it on their terms. And in the midst of that, I don't fit their stereotype of somebody who's pushing their ideas. And probably when they're saying things they don't like about Christians, a lot of it I agree with. I mean, Christians can oftentimes relate to non-Christians in quite thoughtless ways. And some of the negative criticisms that are given are, yeah, okay, I agree with that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good criticism. So even when a person is sort of, you know, I don't want to talk about it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that just shuts down. But let me say, you do need to respect that. If a person says they don't want to talk about it, you force, you know, talking about it, and then you will not be bearing good witness for the gospel or for yourself. So speaking of Jesus, uh, jumping on the topic here, most non-Christians have a pretty positive view of Jesus. And what do people think about Jesus? Most of them say, oh, he was a good moral teacher. You know, they believe that Jesus talked about love and even maybe had heard love your enemy kind of thing. So yeah, they have a positive view of Jesus. But mention of Jesus, the J word, uh, makes them quite nervous. And Christians also feel quite uncomfortable and talking about Jesus. You can talk about God in generic terms or spirituality in generic terms, but you mention Jesus and there's this uneasiness uh, which, which arises. So I'd like to have us start off by turning to someone near you and address the question, what makes speaking of Jesus hard as you see it? So turn to someone near you and talk for a couple of minutes about that and then uh, we'll, we'll get back together again. Okay, you could probably keep going for a while, but let me uh, get your attention again here. What were some of your thoughts? Yeah, associations that people have. That's particularly hard these days. I mean, I love the term evangelical, and I'm, I'm quite interested in, yes, I, yes, I'm an evangelical. And my understanding of that is an evangelical is committed to the authority of all of Scripture. Um, but the associations people have with evangelicals, I mean, after all, Trump says he's a Christian. 
even though he can't think of anything he needs to ask forgiveness for. <laughs> and so the association you get that way are, uh, yeah, that can make it hard. Yeah, so there'd be a combination of one thing is, is do I understand in my own mind clearly enough what the key elements of the gospel are to be able to communicate that? But the other thing is people can ask hard questions. And I know what some of those hard questions are. I don't know how I respond to that, and I'm afraid the person might ask one of these hard questions. <laughs> Let me just say when a person asks a question that you don't know how to respond to or is a hard question, let me encourage you to say that's a good question. Uh, let me think about that. I'll do some research on it. I tell you what, I'll, I'll get back to you when I, when I, I let you know when I find out. Now, if, you're, if you don't see the person again, that can't do that. But nonetheless, it gives an opportunity to have another conversation. And for almost all the questions that are out there, there are at least decent responses, some of them excellent responses to the questions which are there. And you can research that, and it's not that hard going online to find good answers to some of these questions. And that can, that can give you the opportunity to then raise the topic. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had this conversation. And you raised this question. I thought about it a little bit. Would you like to know what I found out? I'm going to come back later. Sort of, would you like to know what I found out is basically asking for them to give the invitation to you to share what you think, which is always a good move to make because when they say yes, then you know they're in a listening mode. Okay, other, other comments about what makes it hard? Yeah, so uh, for, for the recording here, it's, it's uh, you want to make sure you don't turn people off. I mean, you want to, you don't avoid the truth, but nonetheless, you, you say some things which are triggers, and you say that, you've lost them. So how, how, do, you, how do you talk about your faith uh, in a way which isn't just going to get uh, uh, negative reactions? And I guess it's worth noting that there are aspects of the gospel that people won't like. And don't sort of you know, whitewash those as if they don't exist. But in a conversation with a person, strategically, you go, okay, I could say this, but perhaps that wouldn't be the best thing to say at this point, maybe later on in the conversation. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, sharing your faith with somebody you know well and know for a long time is actually, I think, considerably harder than sharing your faith with a complete stranger. I mean, they know you, and they know what you're like. I uh, recognize that. And let me just say at this point that it's worthwhile for people to, who know you and know you're a Christian for you to admit there are areas in which I really need to grow as a Christian. 
And there are things in my life which aren't nearly as Christ-like as I would like them to be. Uh, that kind of honesty, rather than being a negative witness, actually the person relates to you more. Okay, you're not sort of a goody two-shoes, you struggle like the rest of us. And I know you do because I've known you for quite a while. <laughs> But you might even say, sort of being aware of what that might be, is a, uh, you're, you know that I oftentimes lose my temper or whatever your sort of uh, may, may be. Uh, that, 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 yeah, I, I'm, I'm not claiming but to be a perfect Christian, but nonetheless, uh, it's, it's something that's very important to me. So honesty is, is good policy. Right, right. Yeah, let me say it's 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 important to recognize that when a person actually becomes a Christian, they don't have to have all their dots resolved. They have to at least be a point where the Christian faith makes enough sense of them that it may well be true. Um, there are doubts, uh, I give a a talk, separate talk on sort of the topic of understanding doubt and where it comes from. Um, But you can have doubts and work with those and continue to move ahead with what you know to be true, like the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, there's there's enough belief that I, I I want to follow you, but I do have these remaining questions. And you don't have to wait until all you get all those questions are resolved to make the commitment. In fact, sometimes Christian apologists, people who are defending the faith, will give the impression that there's great answers to all the doubts that you have, which encourages the person to wait until they get the great answer to all their doubts, <laughs> which can be a very long time. <laughs> if they're smart enough and ingenious enough, and maybe even what you thought were great answers, they're not so convinced with it. Okay, we're well, moving on from that. Here's just a few things I had. Not wanting to pushy, awkwardness in raising the topic, Fear of what others will think of us, either less intelligent or narrow-minded. There was a fourth-year grad student in uh, physics, uh, who uh, no, in astronomy, at UC Santa Cruz, who I knew was thinking about the faith. His sister had become a believer, and I had some contact with him. Then the beginning of the fifth year, we got together one-on-one and found out more about his background. And I asked him if there was any particular barriers he saw to his becoming a Christian. And he said, yeah, well, one is what people think about me. And that is not an idle concern. I guarantee you that if a person in that kind of setting, a secular university like University of California, Santa Cruz, and your fellow grad students find out that you've become a Christian, many of them will think, oh, this person isn't as smart as I thought they were. <laughs> so they lower, you low, get lowered in their mind in terms of your own intelligence. That, well, I guess you're not as intelligent as I thought you were. Uh, so that can be a real concern. Um, by the way, he did, in time, become a Christian, so that, that's sort of positive end of that story. Uh, fear of questions one cannot answer. Uh, we talked about that a little bit. Another thing is not convinced that our friends need Jesus. This is one that doesn't come up all that often, but actually I think it's easy for us to feel, oh, this, my friend's nice, uh, he's doing fine, uh, he doesn't really need Jesus. Whereas if, in fact, we believe that Jesus makes a big difference in people's lives and that everyone really needs Jesus, it's not that everybody is hurting in a terrible shape, but that, in fact, the gospel is good news for everyone. 
if you're really convinced of that, as I think we should be as Christians, that should provide motivation for us in talking about our faith with friends whom we like a lot and have a lot of things uh, going for them. A few foundational things. One, we need to have a clear understanding of the gospel. Uh, there are typical sort of summaries of the gospel. There's a couple of points within the summary of the gospel where I'm looking at it, I'm thinking as a non-Christian, mm, that doesn't make much sense to me. <laughs> How do you explain those more difficult uh, areas of the gospel? And is it uh, good news uh, for everyone? Let me say that sometimes you can talk about the gospel, sort of lay out the gospel. Most times you won't have that opportunity. In fact, if you think of evangelism as laying out the gospel, and you get the door opens a little bit, you lay out the gospel, probably the person is getting more than they, they wanted. But you do have the opportunity to do that. An example for myself was there was an international student who had been attending our church for a while, who I knew was not a Christian yet. And I got together with him for breakfast, and I said, attending church, uh, you hear the word gospel talked about a lot. Do you feel like you understand what Christians mean by the gospel? Oh, sort of, you know, was his response. And I said, well, if you like, I'd be glad to sort of in a sort of outline form just lay out what I think are key elements of what the gospel consists of. Would you be interested in that? Sure. Okay. So here I have an invitation to lay out the gospel. So I took out my paper napkin, you know, sort of the restaurant kind of thing, <laughs> and writing down different, different points. And at each point I would ask, so does that make sense to you? And he would say, no. Then I would ask, what? So we deal with it. And even that context, you don't have to go through the whole thing. But you have the opportunity to go through laying out the whole gospel. So there are times when it's perfectly appropriate and natural to lay out the, lay out the gospel in its entirety. Here are some hard questions that people sometimes raise. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Couldn't he just forgive us? Most people are basically good. Surely a merciful God wouldn't require perfection. If you want afterwards, you can talk to me about some of these points. But God surely wouldn't send anybody to hell just because they didn't profess certain beliefs, would he? If God's all good and all powerful, he wouldn't allow so much suffering and evil. That's one of the classic objections uh, uh, to the faith. Another foundation, when a person becomes a Christian, at least three things need to come together. It has to at least be plausible to the person. If it's not plausible to the person, no matter how much they may be attracted to Christians, the Christian faith, they're not about to become a Christian. You're not, so you can't embrace, believe something that you think is probably false. It's just, I don't think it's psychologically possible to do that. But in addition to believing that it may be true, there has the motivational part. If there's no motivation to believe, no matter how good the arguments are, the person will say, oh, that's interesting. You've made an interesting argument. But it just stops there. A person has to be motivated to want to follow Jesus. And the will's involved. I think the simplest definition of a Christian is a Christian is one who's a follower of Jesus. The simplest definition is not a Christian is one who affirms the right propositions. <laughs> a person can affirm the right propositions. As Jesus says, you say, Lord, Lord, and even do miracles in my name, uh, but I'll say, I never knew you. So actually, the, being a Christian is acting on what uh, you recognize. You can be there, oh, it may be true and have some motivation and sit on the fence forever. Well, becoming a Christian is actually, how I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. That, that's, that's where I'm going to orient myself. And that's sort of a baseline of what becoming a Christian involves. And there, are, there are beliefs that are essential. So the proposition thing doesn't mean that the proposition don't matter. <laughs> but rather that you need more than just the propositions. 
It's also important to recognize that when a person becomes a Christian, or even when they're responding favorably to aspects of the gospel, the Holy Spirit's at work. It's not just the force of the arguments that I give. The, the Holy Spirit actually needs to be at work in the person's mind. I can give exactly the same argument to two different people, and one person could say, ah, oh, I like that. That makes sense. I think actually the Holy Spirit is at work in that person, in their mind, and helping them to, to say, oh, I like that. Another person will just continually scratching for objections. Uh, if the same argument given to two people, the Holy Spirit needs to be at work. There needs to be receptivity, and the Holy Spirit is involved in that. Friendship and trust are usually important. I know a person who became a Christian without ever having any contact with actual Christians. They found Christian radio or listened to Christian radio and became a Christian. That is the rare case. <laughs> Almost always is through contact with Christians and being attracted to the Christian and to the Christian community, saying, I like what I see. Uh, and hence, friendship and trust creates an openness there to the, the gospel. I'll give one illustration. There was that my wife teaches English as a second language. And she was working with a professor at the University of Michigan in their English as a second language uh, program. And uh, the, she, my wife had just that past weekend gone on a women's retreat at her church. And so the woman professor she was talking to was listening to it. And at the end of my wife sharing about the weekend, she said, you know, sometimes I wish I could be a member of a church. Sounds like so much fun. So, so you know, what, what you're, you're explaining sounds really attractive. She said, but I can't because I don't believe it, right? So you don't just become a member of a church because you're attractive, or at least there are some churches you can, but there ought to be some you know, that you actually are deciding to, to, to believe. Prior relationship is not essential in talking about the faith. And as I said before, it's harder sometimes speaking to friends and to family. When I sit down in an airplane, the person sitting next to me, I'll typically introduce myself. Hi, I'm Peter. And the person will give their name. Or I ask something like, uh, the city that we're flying to, is, is that your destination? Or are you going on? Oh, that's my destination. Are you going there for business or family or friends or vacation? And they'll, they'll respond to that. Now, if they respond with very just a one word, then I gather that they really don't want to engage in conversation. But if, in fact, they, they liven up and start, you know, then the conversation goes. You have to be sensitive to whether the person actually wants to talk. And sometimes I'll raise a question, and the person will give a one-word answer, and, okay, that's the end of the conversation. So, again, I don't push, but I'm sort of putting out feelers to sort of see what the response might be. Part of, an, of speaking of Jesus comfortably is to develop the art of conversation. If you're simply not good at engaging in significant conversation with anyone, then you're probably going to have a hard time talking about significant conversation about the gospel with your non-Christian friends. So it's worth thinking a little bit about the art of conversation. And I'm going to approach this by asking, what makes a conversation about politics enjoyable? You know, there's the line, in polite company, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics. <laughs> you don't want to have a battle going. But actually, most people have a significant interest in both religion and in politics. And so I was thinking to myself, what, what makes a conversation about politics enjoyable? And this, each of these points becomes applicable to talking about the faith as well. One is that you have the opportunity to say what you think. All right. Another is the other person shows an interest in knowing what you think. <laughs> it's not very enjoyable just to share what you think if the person has no interest in what you think. Uh, the other person has some worthwhile thoughts. 
So it's not just one way you're speaking, but actually the other person has some worthwhile thoughts. The conversation is by consent. So both of you are engaged in it, and both of you are quite happy to be engaged in it. Also, it continues only as long as both want it to. One of the biggest problems in conversation is one person wants the conversation to end, and the other person keeps going and going and going. One simple solution to that, in conversation, when you say something, pause before you say the next thing. It gives the other person the opportunity to say, well, I really have to be heading on. You know, it gives the opportunity to interject, but, so you give them the space. And then when you, when you pause, if they say something that's related to it or just don't respond at all, then you keep going. But it, gives, it lets you know that actually they're quite content to have the conversation go on. Because if they don't want to go on, they'll jump in and give you some um, indication that they don't want it to continue. Something is learned. Relevant facts, points, ideas. And out of this, interesting enough, a mutual respect or friendship grows. Even if the two people have quite opposing views politically, if they follow these rules, follow these points, probably both of them will come away with a greater respect for each other. So despite it being about a topic which is potentially very divisive and around which there's a lot of emotional impact, if you're sensitive to the other person and you're not just grandstanding, uh, actually friendship can grow significantly from that because after all, politics is significant. <laughs> I mean, it's not some insignificant thing in terms of our society and our life. Again, dialogue, not monologue. Now, another point is there are levels of conversation. You start off just sort of getting the conversation going on things which may not be of great importance or relevance, and you get down to, to deeper things, so you sort of work that direction. The first thing in my talk here was small talk. When I was in Finland this last year, and I was talking to someone, and they said, we Finns do not engage in small talk. Oh, that's interesting. Well, it turns out the Finns have been dominated by other countries, by Denmark, by Germany, by Sweden, by Russia, and they don't have an arrogant attitude about themselves. And by, culturally, if they have something to say, they say, we say it. If we don't have something to say, we don't speak. So they're not as you know, talkative as, as many other cultures are. So when I gave this talk in Finland, I said, now, I, I've been told that you know, Finns don't engage in small talk. So forget that expression. The question is, how do you break the ice? I mean, how do you get the conversation going? I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's a key thing here. So you can talk about sports. You can talk about the weather. You can talk about you know, anything. So just something to get the, the conversation going. As the conversation gets going, let me encourage you to look for something that the other person says, which is a genuine interest for the other person. So if the person talks about the Golden State Warriors, you quickly discover they really like the Golden State Warriors. They're a Golden State Warriors fan. They have a genuine interest in it. Rather than just going on talking about something else, uh, ask them what they think. Well, what do you think about this year's team? Or what do you think about uh, sort of the, the players there? Do you have a favorite player? Have you had an interest in the Warriors for a long time, from a kid? or you know? So you ask those kinds of questions, and people respond wonderfully when you show an interest in something they have a genuine interest in. So even if you don't have much inter interest in basketball, sort of put that to one side and say, OK, this person does. Let me find out a little bit. And it may be in the process, your own interest in basketball, the Warriors may increase. But you're looking for something that's a genuine interest in the other person and then trying to ha encourage them to speak about it. And when you hit a button, 
a hot topic button, which them they love to speak about, they, 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 they go on. And you're actually developing quite a friendship. They like talking to you because you have an interest in them, which typically is not all that common in conversations as I, as I see it. But beyond that, there's questions of values uh, and feelings. You know, what's important to you about this? Uh, how do you find the time for it? What's, you know, so th those kinds of issues. And if you get down to more important values, long-term aspirations, you're actually getting things related to worldview. Is my aspiration to make lots of money? Become a CEO of a company? Uh, if you're in academics, to write papers that get published by science or nature or, you know, big philosophical journals or even philosophy like myself is, you know, that's your long-term aspiration? Or is it to be a successful father, mother, have a family and raise kids that you're proud of? So, you know, what, what are your long-term aspirations and why does that matter? That raises worldview kinds of uh, questions. Now, something that I found helpful, there's a woman, Becky Manley Pippert. Some of you may know her book, Out of the Salt Shaker. She was actually on InterVarsity staff when I first joined InterVarsity staff many years ago. And we were involved in a, uh, a campus mission at Stanford, so I got to know her. She's now living in Europe. And she's actually going to be one of the speakers at a conference that I'm going to in December there. But in her book, uh, in, in, in her, in her book uh, Out of the Salt Shaker, she uses the word investigate, stimulate, relate as sort of a guideline in conversation. Investigate is trying to find out things about the person. My wife was looking at this and saying, investigate sounds too much like interrogate. I'm trying to analyze you. Well, that's not the idea. You're just trying to find out things about, about the person. So just uh, that, that's the idea of investigate. But it's asking questions. Don't come out with your agenda or what you want to say, show an interest in the other person and find out things about them. Uh, background, origin, siblings, parents, education, interests, everybody, you know, those are, those are just so generic. You don't have to be smart to be able to ask the question about family or where are you from? Are you from this area originally? Where, where, where are you from? Uh, their work situation, are they working, retired, uh, single married, children, all those kinds of things are just, that, that's, those are general topics that you can talk about with, with anybody. It's worthwhile to ask questions that go a bit deeper than the standard questions. In a university context, I meet a student, and one of the first questions I ask is, what are you studying? I mean, that's a worthwhile question, but that's a pretty superficial sort of introductory question. So you can ask questions that go a little bit deeper. So here's a, an example, say, for a working person. Uh, what kind of work do you do? What company do you work for? Those are your standard questions. Now, going a little bit deeper. What got you interested in this? Or are you happy working for the company that you're working for? Or what do you enjoy most about the work? Do you find parts of it difficult? Now that's getting a little more, you know, but nonetheless, people, if, you, if the conversation is going well, you can ask that kind of a question. Do you work closely with others? Or are you basically sort of solo in what you do? And how is that? I know from my own experience that Job satisfaction has a lot to do with the people you work with. If you like the people you're working with, that makes a huge difference. Uh, do you think you'll continue doing this long term? So the person may just be a stepstone to doing something else. Um, and if you were to do it over again, would you follow the same path? I mean, these are great questions, and they're really significant conversation uh, you know, generators. 
and you get in some really good stuff and ask about it. Now, it's not directly related to the faith, but it's this art of significant conversation and getting into issues and things uh, which are important. You can always ask, when not working, what do you enjoy doing? That gets off into, you know, whether it's running or sports or uh, going to movies or whatever it may be, you find out things about, about the person. So that's going deeper. Now, I'll skip the grad student questions. You can also ask about a religious background. So, for instance, I could say, I'm curious, did you grow up in a family that was at all religious? I mean, I don't say that, that's not the first question I ask, but, you know, uh, particularly where they're from, if they're from an area that's sort of, you know, more, more the Bible Belt or more conservative part of the country, I may ask, uh, did you grow up in a family that was all religious? Uh, and uh, if they say yes, they say something about that, well, do you have any religious faith yourself? So I'm asking about religion in the context of general conversation, and it's not being pushy, because after all, that's the kind of question that you could ask. Uh, if the person has changed his or her beliefs, so I grew up, I was, uh, had this background, but I no longer believe this, uh, I recognize this as being a little prying a bit, so I'll say, I'm curious, and you don't need to tell me if you don't want to, but what led you to change your view? And the person might say, oh, that's a big topic. Well, at some point, I'd like to know more of it. Or can you sort of, in a nutshell, tell me, uh, as a philosopher, I want to see what reasons they had, what lay behind the, the change in belief they had. Was it experience they had, negative experience with Christians? Was it questions and issues that they couldn't, have, couldn't find answers to? Uh, people they got to know, maybe a professor who is an atheist or a skeptic, books they read, internet. Internet, by the way, is huge these days. There are lots and lots of people who surf the web and find things on atheist websites, which it used to be, now who would ask that question? Well, they asked that question because the atheists raised that question. So something that seems like a detail, which is sort of a, no, actually people are oftentimes quite familiar with those because they, they surf the, the internet. A good question to ask if a person says they used to be a Christian. I'll say, I know you don't believe it anymore, but do you wish the Christian faith were true? This is a great question to ask. The person might say, yeah, I do, right? <laughs> that means they're leaving the Christian faith was not because they were uh, convinced that it was false. Uh, rather, rather they, they left the Christian faith not because they were upset with Christians or they didn't find Christianity attractive anymore, but they just simply couldn't believe it. So when the person says, yes, I do wish it were true, if it's a context where I might be able to spend more time with the person, I'll say something like, well, uh, I don't guarantee that I can persuade you that it's true, but I think there's a good chance that I can persuade you that the case for it is a lot better than you currently think it is. Would you be interested in having some more sort of ongoing sort of dialogue about it? So the, if the person says, no, I don't wish it were true, all right, there's things they don't like about it. So you know, why do you say that? Uh, when the person doesn't wish it were true, your arguments for the truth of the Christian faith, I mean, those aren't really the important things because they don't want it to be true. They don't want to be true no matter how good your arguments are. They're not going to be uh, persuaded by them. It's also interesting that a person, say I'm talking to a person, and it turns out they're a Hindu. Um, uh, I can ask the person... Uh, uh, I'm curious, if someone were to say to you, you're a Hindu just because you grew up in the faith, how would you respond? I think that's a great question to ask. I mean, people ask some other Christians, well, you believe it's silly because you grew up in a Christian background. Well, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. 
But I asked the person as a Hindu, we had an interesting, uh, this last spring, we were in uh, Kosice, Slovakia, and uh, one of the, the student worker there had invited some Indian friends from India uh, to come to a dinner. And there was about uh, seven or eight of them. And uh, she asked one of them uh, if, whether he, he said, one of them said he was a Christian. So the staff worker asked, well, what does that mean to you? What does that mean? It means you're, you're, you're a nice person, you care about other people, and you're honest. All right? That's kind of a superficial understanding of what it means to be a Christian. But that was enlightening to me. When a person says, I'm a Christian, I'll typically assume they mean more than that. But she was trying to find out, and uh, from a Hindu standpoint, culturally, you identify as Hindu and Christian. If you identify as Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're embracing all that. It's rather, what category are you? And you fit in one of the categories. I asked a couple of the students who were Hindu in background, I said, well, how do you respond when somebody who grew up Hindu uh, embraces atheism? And the response that I got was, oh, that doesn't happen very often. I said, well, let me ask a different question. Suppose, suppose that you're getting married, and the wife, or the wife-to-be, is worship, their family worships one god, and your family worships a different god. Well, what happens then? I'm trying to figure out, they have this discussion about who's right. And to, to my surprise, they said, well, obviously, the woman embraces the husband's god. Oh, <laughs> so I was being enlightened about Hindu culture, that this is just how things work, very much a part of culture, which I wouldn't have known if I if hadn't been getting those kinds of, that, that kind of feedback. So just curiosity about what other people believe can lead to great conversations, not directly related to the Christian faith, but quite clearly when you're talking about some of these things, your faith can come into it quite naturally. Or another question, do you think it's important for others to come to embrace the beliefs that you hold? I think there are a fair number of Americans who have embraced Buddhism who would say, yeah, I think a person embraces Buddhism, they'll have a greater tranquility in their life, their life will be smoother, they'll have more inner peace. So yeah, it would be good for anybody and everybody to embrace Buddhism. But oftentimes it's, well, no, not really, this is what I believe, other people can believe what, what, what they believe. So that, that's just another a good question to ask. When it comes to the word stimulate, and the stimulate, uh, relate, uh, uh, investigate, stimulate, relate, stimulate is making a comment that invites a response, but isn't directly giving, giving uh, uh, saying more. So here are some examples. <clears throat> uh, if a person who had gone you know, door to door and the person gives you all those negative experiences, I'll say, it sounds to me that your experiences are quite different from mine. Or another example, I've talked to people who said uh, that uh, the church they were at, they could never ask questions. Whenever they asked a question, they were told, just have faith, just have faith. So it was like they're an intellectual straitjacket. You couldn't ask any questions. They went off to university and had the experience of being able to ask questions, and it was tremendously liberating. Goodbye, Christian faith. When I hear that, I'll tell the person, well, it sounds like your experience was, your experience was quite different than mine. Shut my mouth and see what they say. How so is what they'll probably say. If they don't want to engage in conversation, they may not say anything. But they say, how so? I'll say, when I was growing up, actually, my father was a professor of Old Testament. Uh, but we were encouraged to think for ourselves. I remember one time sitting around the dining room table. And I have two older brothers. My oldest brother was asking some questions about the faith. 
I don't remember exactly what they were, but how do I know it's true, those kinds of things. And I was looking at my dad and my mom. And my mom didn't literally have her finger, bite, wasn't literally biting her fingernails, but I could tell she was, there was a great anxiety. <laughs> she was just looking at my mom. I looked at my dad, and my dad said to my oldest brother, son, as much as your mother and I want you, would love to have you embrace the faith which we embrace. This is something you have to decide for yourself. So growing up, I was never in sort of the pressure cooker, you have to believe this, when I decided to major in philosophy. I didn't get uh, sort of uh, comments from my parents, oh, you really shouldn't do that. Uh, studying philosophy at Stanford, uh, that, that's not very wise. <laughs> so they, they trusted me and allowed me to ask questions. So for the person to realize, you know, not everybody has that same experience. Helps them to see that when they've generalized this is the way things were in my church and assume this is the way it is in every church, or with all Christians, no, it's, it's not always the case. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're always trying to be paralyzed. Well, let's, what can we send them to keep them parochial? And the other, you had parents that encouraged that thinking. Either they trusted God to work in your life, and who knows, I don't know, you know the answer to that. There's a tension in those two because you have the church community that struggle on both ends. One is very protective, you're scared to death to face reality, almost fearful, and they're intimidated by it. We live in a little, little parochial world because we're scared of that. So, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when, when you're, you know, where's my son or daughter going to go to school? Yeah. They go to a Christian college, go to the secular university. What's going to be good for them spiritually is going to vary from person to person. And it may well be that the parent says, well, my child doesn't have a very solid faith at all. Going to a Christian school, they'll have teachers who will be able to address some of the questions that they have, and that sounds like a good, good choice. Uh, in my case, my parents had significant confidence in my own, the strength of my own faith. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they had confidence that going, going to a place like Stanford, uh, I, would, I, would, I, I would do fine. And in fact, I right away got in contact with Christians there, got involved in the Christian community. If you're at a secular university and you get involved with the Christian community and really draw upon that, uh, secular university would be a wonderful place to go to school. There's a little book by Joe Bailey. I wrote entitled, I Saw Ghoulie Fly. And this little story of I Saw Ghoulie Fly is, uh, so this, this, this guy who discovers that he can fly, and he makes the comment that I discover I fly best when I'm flying into the wind. When the wind is coming against you and you're flying into the wind, you fly best. And when you're in a, unit, a setting where other people don't believe what you believe and you're getting this contrary sort of wind, you actually grow in ways you wouldn't grow if all the wind was blowing in the direction, or at least much of it was blowing in the direction you're going. So it varies from person to person. There's no one answer as to what the right, the right thing is. But don't, don't be intrinsically afraid about secular universities, particularly if your son or daughter is eager to get involved with Christian community and you know there's a Christian community there which is solid. All right. 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 A di different topic really is sort of helping our children stay in the faith. You know, so sort of the, the what about the, the percentage of kids who grow up in evangelical churches and then leave the faith? And that's a, a major concern. Well, part of it is oftentimes focused on well, do they feel attachment? Do they like, are they, do they feel some identification with the church? 
Well, that's significant, but you also need to help them deal with some of the issues and questions they're going to get. And I don't think we do a very good job of helping our high school students actually know some of the questions and objections they're going to be getting when they go off to university and have them already begin to think about that and have some answers to it. So there's a lot of preparatory work that's needed. Yes, yeah. So I, I, I think that's, that's, that's hugely important. Right, right, right. I'm in, in doing this talk on the reliability of Scripture. One person I'll talk a fair amount is a guy named Bart Ehrman, who used to be an evangelical uh, and who is just an arch-atheist skeptic and has about a dozen books all attacking the Christian faith in, in different ways uh, in terms of is, is the New Testament really reflect what the original uh, books were like. Um, but actually, there's lots of stuff that he says it just, just it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Uh, so there's very good, the, but have them have exposure to that before they go to, a, say, a religious studies class or a class where the person is giving a very liberal interpretation of Scripture and all these problems with the Scripture. You need to be able to help your children with, with those kinds of things. Question over here. Right. And it addresses a lot of those kinds of questions. Um, the second thing is, seeing your child, if they're a follower, you probably wouldn't want to send them to a secular college. You see, if they're interested in getting involved with Christian community, they're making the right connections. If they're not interested in getting involved with Christian community, then yeah, there really is a significant risk there, just flying, like going on their own without some support around them. Uh, most of the pressures are, are against the Christian faith. So the, by, for the recording, there was the, the Truth Project. It was a series of things that one, one can turn to. So there's lots of good resources out there. Yes? In my experience, though, I think we have to be careful about, oh, well, if they're interested in getting involved in the Christian community, they'll be good. Because the community at my secular college, I felt like, was more about pushing the faith and gaining in numbers than actually loving people. And it turned me away from it for a little bit, but it took the people involved in my life, just individuals caring about me and talking to me about God that really mattered. So I don't know if it's like a whole school or a whole group that... Yeah, so, so the comment was made, simply wanting to get involved in the Christian community isn't necessarily good if that Christian community yeah. is just into social activity or they don't, they don't, they don't have a they're not very loving, caring community. You can do some research on that. I mean, you can go online, and if you find someone who is there, uh, contact this person and tell me more about it. What, what kind of impressions do you get? What is it like? So I know there's some Christian groups that are really pretty anti-intellectual. Just have faith in Jesus. Well, if you want someplace where the, your, your son or daughter is going to be able to have, be able to address those questions, then that's probably not the best place to be. Yes.
Right. Yeah, so the recording of the comment was about uh, uh, the, being faced with things like women in leadership in the church and those kinds of questions, and are we really thinking those thing, things through? Right. Uh, my, those are the kinds of issues that a lot of these kids face when they go into secular schools. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's a whole bunch, but I'm just giving you a very simple one. Right. I mean, my brother, uh, Philip Payne, uh, has written one of the most important books on that topic of women leadership in the church. Uh, so, you know, asking about that later, I can, I can, I can give you the, the contact information about that. Yes. Right. So again, there's lots of things that are problems within the church uh, that, that we need to face up to and say, yeah, there are a lot of people who say one thing on Sunday, but doesn't seem to affect their life at all. Uh, those, are, so those are serious problems, but it's not too surprising. Given the Christian faith, a person is not, uh, their, their attitudes are not just reversed when they become a Christian. They're still there. And particularly if they're given a presentation of the gospel where it doesn't cost you anything. You can continue to live your life exactly as you were. You just got all the benefits. <laughs> you know, fire, fire, fire insurance. So those are, those are topics that we need to address. Okay, we're, we're running a bit, bit behind here in time. But anyway, relate. Uh, share your thoughts about your, uh, uh, your, what you believe. And oftentimes it connect with, with things in, in the conversation you've had. <clears throat> uh, ask permission to share your thoughts. Uh, a couple of things I had on the slide before was uh, some, some conversation comes up. And I'll say, I read a book recently, or an article recently, that I liked quite a bit and dealt with that topic. Oh, what was that? And so I wait for them to say, what, what, what was it that, that you just said? Or even in terms of sharing what you've done this last weekend, as a, when I was a student, uh, I would be in church every Sunday morning. People, what do you do over the weekend? And I would say, well, I went to church. Well, if initially that, I suppose the sermon was really quite a good sermon, and there are aspects of the sermon that were quite helpful to me. I can say to the person, I went to church, and the sermon the pastor gave this, this last time I found really quite helpful. How so? Okay. Normally, the person doesn't want to hear you talk about what the sermon was, the church you went to. But by raising it that way, the person, how is it that they found, you, they found it helpful? And actually, it is, well, I think it's something that's going to be attractive to them as well. 
But again, you're stimulating, you're saying something without, without uh, going further and just seeing the response. Well, when you ask permission to share your thoughts, that's a very worthwhile thing. I remember one time having a conversation about the evidence for the resurrection. And it took you about half an hour to go through the, the, the case for it. And in the end, the person said, okay, so maybe Jesus did rise from the dead. Strange things happen. <laughs> and I realized I could have asked the beginning uh, something like, you know, I've thought about that a fair amount. I can't give you a two, three-minute response to it. Uh, but uh, if you like, I could share some of my thoughts. But let me ask before I even respond to that. If I were to give a good response to your question, would it make any difference to you? The person might say, no, not really. Okay. <laughs> At least they're being honest and recognizing you know, what, what, what the significant issue is. But when you're asking permission, so I, this is a difficult question. I'd love to share some of my, my thoughts about it. Uh, did you have the time or the interest? And the person would say, you know, no or yes. Or I could say, at some point, I'd be glad to share it with you. That gives the person the freedom to say, okay, yeah, that'd be fine, not right now, but at some point. That gives the opportunity later on to say, you indicated that you'd like to have me share with, is this a good time, or would you like, if the person says no again, uh, then you can say, well, maybe I'm misreading you, but maybe you don't really want to hear what I have to think about it. Uh, yeah, that's really true. You know, it's not could be. So you need to be sensitive and not pushing, but at the same time, uh, when you ask permission to share something, that uh, it, 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 it goes much more smoothly than just simply jumping in and, and saying what you, what you think. Um, I'll skip all those for the sake of time. Speak about Jesus. It's important for us to share our personal testimony, but it's important for pe people to actually be drawn to Jesus and not just to a Christian lifestyle or a Christian community. Being drawn to a Christian community is different than actually being drawn towards Jesus. That's one of the reasons why one of the best things you can do for an interested non-Christian is to get them into a discussion about the Gospels. And typically, I find they, when they do that, they enjoy it. Uh, it takes a little to sort of get them interested in, in it. One way you can pique some interest in them is if a person says something, I'll say, well, no, Jesus taught a parable related to that topic. And the person, well, what parable is that? This actually happened to, uh, uh, to us when I was speaking at an international student ministry group in Prague, in Czechia, formerly Czech Republic. And uh, one of the students was raising the question about the character of justice. And I said, Jesus taught a parable related to the topic of justice. Well, what is that? Can you guess what the parable is? The workers. Yeah, so a person hires workers at the beginning of the day for a day's wage. They get paid the day's wage. They, there's some people in the middle of the day uh, come, come around. Okay, I'll hire you too. And they work for the day. And then some people work just a couple hours at the end of the day. And the end of the day, he pays them all the same. So I asked him, was that just? And the students said, no, that's not just. <laughs> okay. <laughs> From our perspective, you get paid for the work you do. If you do less work, you get paid less. But you got to remember, the people who are being hired likely had the same expenses, same family costs, being able to put food on the table. So therefore, the person that worked two hours had just as much need for a day's wage as the person who worked the whole day's wage. And the person who got the day's wage got a fair wage. So is it unfair to show mercy to people who have done less because there's need? I say, Jesus' view of fairness is different than our sort of Western economic free enterprise view of what fairness is. But I think it's worthwhile to think about Jesus' view of fairness rather than just simply assuming that our views of fairness are the ones. So 
that, that gets them interested. If I said something like that, I say, by the way, I think you would really enjoy looking at other things Jesus says. Would you be interested in getting together and we can look at a chapter and sort of discuss what's there? Given that it's already sort of in their mind, uh, oh, okay, yeah, that, that sounds good. So look for an opportunity where you might be able to raise, the, give, give that invitation. But when they do that, they're not only attracted to you, it's sort of their, or the group, if it's a group, uh, but they're also probably attracted to Jesus. Now, not everyone is, but most people, when they look at the Gospels, actually are attracted to Jesus. They don't agree with everything Jesus says. But nonetheless, they find Jesus quite fascinating, and they're attracted to Jesus. Again, it needs to be not a monologue, but a conversation. I mentioned the pauses and asking, what are your thoughts? Encourage a response. Let me just mention a couple things rather than going through the slides. It's not just the response to becoming a Christian that we're looking for. Jesus gave us the principle that if you act on what you know to be true, more truth will be given to you. If a person is, say, looking at Jesus and there's something that Jesus teaches ethically and that makes sense to the person, challenge the person to put that into practice. If they're putting into practice truth that they've received, that opens themselves up to more truth. So don't just think you're sort of the only thing you're asking is become a Christian. <laughs> uh, ask them to respond to what they know. And as they respond to what they know, they become open to more truth uh, down the road. It's also important to encourage them to act on what they're hearing. So maybe encourage and invite them to come to some event or get involved in something. I mentioned investigate a Bible study, but maybe invite them to come to some Christian some meeting. Uh, there, there's various Christmas concert kinds of things. And invite them to come. Well, Christmas concert typically is not all that much in terms of evangelism. But nonetheless, if they have sort of this fear of the church and they enjoy that, they're much more willing to come back to the church the next time because it was a good experience the, the first time. So ask them to act on, on what, they've, what they've been acting. Another significant thing to do is find out where they are in their thinking. There was a person who I had uh, uh, gotten to know through a friend who had gone to university with this person. I was a grad, grad student work, working with grad student at the University of Michigan. And a woman called me who was, this, who was a grad student at Northwestern, and she says, you have a friend who's a grad student in the School of Music in Michigan. I don't think he's a Christian, but at one point he prayed to receive Christ, but I don't think he really is a Christian. Would you be willing to look him up? So I said, sure. I gave a, gave a phone call and explained why I was calling. That, and the person could say, well, no, I'm not interested. But I said, would you like, if you'd like, I'd be glad to treat you to breakfast. And he said, okay. So we got together for breakfast. And I didn't, when we sat down, I didn't immediately start talking, but after just some chit-chat for a little bit, sort of the opening conversation, I said, you're probably expecting this, so I'll raise it at this point. I'm curious as to where you are in relationship to Jesus. What, what do you, how do you view, view yourself? And he said, I neither believe nor disbelieve. He'd grown up Catholic, uh, but was really quite agnostic in his own, own views. Eventually, he did become a Christian. Uh, for the sake of time, I can't really tell the whole story. Maybe the beginning of the, uh, uh, tomorrow, if, you, if you're back, I'll, I'll give the, the rest of the story. He eventually did become a Christian. But as becoming a Christian, it wasn't just a matter of the philosophical interactions we had, but the confidence that actually God was reaching out to him. So at one point in, in our friendship, about six months after we started seeing each other on a moderately regular basis, I said, I haven't talked about the faith for a while with you. Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself moving towards the faith, or where do you see yourself on that? And that's a good question to ask. First of all, well, I'm not there yet, 
But I see, I see myself moving in that direction. For them to acknowledge that they're moving themselves in that direction is a wonderful thing uh, for them to say. His response at that point was, well, I don't consider myself to be close to becoming a Christian. Uh, growing up in the Catholic Church, my priest said, faith is something you either have or you don't have, and I just simply don't seem to have it. So that led to some other conversations. Uh, I'll end at that, but let me just try, try to be an encouragement to you that uh, try to be sensitive to the people you're talking to, ask good questions, look for opportunities, and recognize that most people really do have a significant interest in religious faith. But it needs to be on their terms and be able to talk about it when they want to talk about it. And you're not pushing something on them, but you can be honest and forthright about what you believe in a comfortable and natural way. Let me close in prayer for us, and then uh, if you have a further question, normally I have Q&A at this point. We had a fair amount of interaction during it, but uh, feel free to stick around, and you can ask some questions later or come back tomorrow, and I'll be... The topic tomorrow is, I don't need God. So it relates to some of the things we've been talking about today. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that, that uh, we can ask hard questions. And then in scripture, when people are asking hard questions but have genuine faith, that you do not put them down, but you honor them. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us a love for the people around us. Lord, uh, help us to have the conviction that, that, that it really is good news for them as well as for ourselves. And Lord, guide us uh, in our conversations. Help us to grow in wisdom and how to share uh, our faith in you with those around us in ways which are... Uh, showing interest in others and not pushing our beliefs on them. But Lord, thank you that, that uh, you give us this privilege, this opportunity to be spokespeople for you in a world where most people around us uh, increasingly do not, do not believe in you, do not know you. But Lord, thank you that you are with us and thank you for the, the joy we have of following you. Amen.